HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Let's get real. The cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wides. And before I begin today, this is a public service announcement. Today's episode of Let's Get Real will be 100% foodiness free for your protection. This is a special edition of Let's Get Real, hearkening back to the days of Why We Cook, my first Heritage Radio Network show. You've been warned. It's Throwback Tuesday. Now, if you listened to last week's show, Tales of Foodiness Fishiness, you heard my story about my younger years, my summer spent fishing on Long Island. Remember that? Fishing for bluefish, flounder, porgies, fluke, and all those other species found in Long Island Sound, despite the industrial pollution. They still lived. And as I think I mentioned back then, or as I think I mentioned last week, in the way that time distorts memory, of course, that it seemed as if we caught and ate bluefish every single weekend of my life from approximately 1969 to 1981, which was probably not quite the case. But nonetheless, childhood exaggerates memory or memory of childhood is exaggerated through the lens of time. I don't know. But a lot of bluefish was consumed. And that bluefish was very, very likely, almost definitely, overcooked. Overcooked. Because that's how people ate fish back then. Overcooked. When I worked in a hotel in Maine years ago, and we would get lots of senior citizens, they all wanted their meat bloody raw and their fish 
cooked until clouds of dust came out of it. It was a thing. You ate meat raw, rare, and fish cooked. It was just a thing. And so back then, fish was overcooked. And so we had all this bluefish, and my parents discovered some recipe, I'm sure somewhere, for bluefish called Greek style. Greek style bluefish. Which involved taking the entire bluefish and baking it whole, covered, sort of smothered in thinly sliced white onions, thinly sliced tomatoes, and thinly sliced green peppers, which, as you know, I do not believe should be used as food. Green peppers. Why eat them green? Wait for them to turn red. That's all I'm saying. And then liberally sprinkled with dried oregano. Dried oregano. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, they were not terrible cooks, my parents. You know, we made our own jam and pickles, and, like, they were, there was pretty good cooking going on. But it was the 1970s. Enough said, am I right? Huh? So in making Greek-style bluefish, in order to not turn the fish to dust by totally overcooking it, you had to take it out of the oven before the aforementioned smothering vegetables ever really cooked enough. So you had kind of like semi to very overcooked fish, dry overcooked fish, covered with thinly sliced onions, green peppers, and tomatoes that were just kind of halfway cooked, like on their way to being cooked, but all they had kind of done was steamed and softened, so they were kind of wet and steamy. Now, a raw onion or pepper or tomato is fine, as long as it's not a green pepper, are fine, Raw, great, fine. And a properly cooked any of the above, even better. But anywhere in between, just thinking about it now, actually physically and emotionally makes me kind of depressed. And I may have to go lie down for a while after the show because I feel the emotional drain of just thinking about it. And given the era, it's not like the whole thing was then liberally lashed with some fruity, fabulous olive oil from California or Italy, because um, the 70s, remember? If there was fruity, delicious, extra virgin olive oil to be had in our town, we weren't having it. We were probably using, like, some kind of, like, Wesson vegetable oil, but probably the generic brand of Wesson oil, because the brand of brand Wesson oil was too expensive, so we had to buy the no-name Western oil. So it wasn't, there wasn't enough oil on there to caramelize the vegetables, which didn't have enough time to cook anyway to golden sweetness. So close, yet so far. It was a, it was a good attempt. It was just misguided. Now, maybe in actual Greece, the country, which has existed for thousands of years, but seems to be on the brink of not existing anymore. Maybe in Greece, they were doing Greek style bluefish, right? And had been for 6,000 years. Maybe they knew how to do Greek-style bluefish in Greece. But in Port Jefferson, Long Island, circa 1978, there were so many small missteps that were so easy to fix if they had only known. Now, if I made that dish now, which I've sort of been doing all summer, actually, I would first roast all the vegetables shallow in a pan to jumpstart the caramelization, get them just to the brink of caramelizing, then lay the fish over that bed of sweet vegetables, and then roast it in a hot oven until the skin crisped up, which would have been slathered with good olive oil and flaky sea salt. Mm -hmm. That's how you do it. And being that we called it Greek style, how about then like some kind of sauce based on yogurt and garlic and lemon juice and maybe some fresh oregano on top? Now that's Greek, baby. 
Opa. That's what we're talking about. Okay. Enough about the bluefish. I'm done with the bluefish. You're probably as sick of hearing about the bluefish as I was of eating it by the time Reagan brainwashed the country into electing him. That would be 1980 for my younger listeners. So let's move on. Let's move on to what was probably on the plate next to the bluefish. What terrible crimes against vegetables were being committed as accomplice to the overcooked fish that we ate every day from 1962 to 1997? Or so it seemed. So the vegetables. Oh, but wait a second. Wait, wait a sec. Wait a sec. Just, sorry, just a few more words about the fish, okay? Specifically, the doneness of it. I know, I talked about it, but I, I will stop. I'll get there, okay? Stop screaming at me to shut up about it already because I have a point to make here. And look, you can turn the show off anytime you want. You know, you still have the freedom to control what you put into your ears. That part of your body you still have control over for now. Anyway. Now, most fish, actually, well, almost all fish, yeah, pretty much all fish, should be eaten one of two ways. Raw as in sashimi, crudo, tartare, ceviche, or very carefully cooked just to the point of translucence or barely opaque. Translucence or barely opaque. Now, back when I was teaching culinary school and I was teaching all those poor souls who paid almost $50,000 to learn that they shouldn't be chefs, I would throw out those two light-associated luminescent terms to my class as I was teaching about cooking proteins and then watch the blank stares of light bounce back at me off of their opaque dulled eyeballs. Not from everyone, okay? Now, all of you former students out there who I know and love and are friends with and who are the smart ones and who are smart enough to listen to the show, not you guys. You know who you are and I love you. But you know about whom I speak. You remember your classmates. And I would have to illustrate the difference between translucent and opaque using copy paper and parchment paper. Parchment paper, translucent. Copy paper, opaque. Made sense, right? Worked. Sometimes I'd even have to define transparent. At which point I would point to the window and say, why don't you jump out of it? Translucence or opacity. For salmon, char, another oily fish, translucence in the center is what we're hoping to achieve. For white, lean fish, just until that translucence quickens to opacity, just at that point, until that flesh just congeals from its clearish translucent gel state to its opaque denatured protein state. A fine technicality, yes, but so important. If you're going to cook it, do it right. Otherwise, just eat it raw. Most fish, like I said, can be eaten raw. There are a few exceptions, though. Like mackerel, my favorite fish. I love my mackerel. But mackerel harbors a nasty parasite called the Anasakis worm, which weirdly sounds like the name of my pediatrician back in Port Jefferson, Long Island, Dr. Stavrolakis, Anasakis worm. Speaking of Greek style. But the Anasakis worm is bad news, and so it gets like into your brain, and you don't want that thing in you. And so raw mackerel is out. But if you order mackerel sushi, the fish has been salted and vinegared and it kills the parasite. So you never actually eat mackerel raw. So don't worry about it. 
And almost all the sushi fish sold in the U.S. has been flash frozen with liquid nitrogen to super sub-zero temps to kill off any other critters, bacteria, parasites anyway. Okay, but let's say you're out fishing on your boat out on Long Island Sound and you haul in, mm, let's say, a bluefish. You want to eat it raw right there on the boat? Slice it up with your sharp knife? Maybe a little soy sauce, a little lemon? Sure, go ahead. Yes, there's a risk of pathogens. You could potentially get hepatitis as it is Long Island Sound. But those risks are probably a lot lower than if you went to your local A&P and bought the family pack of industrially raised chicken drumsticks to throw on the grill. So eat that fish, damn it. But if you do decide to cook it, remember, what are the two words? Translucent or barely opaque. When it comes to fish, remember that unlike sexuality or personality disorders, there is no spectrum. There's only raw or right. Even Dr. Kinsey would approve, and he was from Indiana. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain, above the Napa Valley. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands, but the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different, too. Go deeper. Cane5.com Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. Today's special foodiness free throwback to why we cook edition of Let's Get Real. Just for old time's sake, like throwback Thursday, but it's throwback Tuesday. But if you're podcasting, it's throwback whatever day in the future. Okay, so enough with the fish. Okay, I'm done. Really, I promise. That's it. The end. We're moving on. Except for one thing. That thing I just said before the break about a spectrum. Come to think of it, I really like that. I like the idea of the spectrum, the cooking spectrum. I, I need to think about that one some more because maybe there's a cooking spectrum disorder or a doneness spectrum disorder or maybe even a foodiness spectrum disorder. I know I said foodiness free today, but so what? It's my show. Now, this could be fun. I'm going to have to kind of work on this one and develop it. And I know I said foodiness free, but it still is. Now, please, please don't send me hate mail if you have a kid who is somewhere on the spectrum accusing me of saying anything offensive to kids who are on the spectrum. Okay? Because believe me, we're all on that spectrum somewhere. And I don't mean the sex one either. Well, that one too. We're all on that one too. But we're all somewhere on that spectrum. Some of us just function a little better than others. Okay? And the sex one, that's another episode altogether. That will be reserved for nighttime listeners only. This is the family time slot. This is daytime family radio. So no hate mail, please. Because what I wanted to talk about really today... What the show is really about was the great injustice being done to the food that was being served alongside that poor maligned Greek-style bluefish, the vegetables and the other sides that suffered the, the horror and suffered the humiliation of 1970s cooking. Okay, now, 
That's a little harsh. I mean, you have to put it in, right? Everything has to be in context. You can't take things out of context. Things must be put in context. And remember what era it was. We were in a recession. The choices were pretty meager. You went to the vegetable section of your store, and there were like six things to choose from, and four of them were potatoes. Okay? There wasn't really much. It was a very different world. You kids born, you know, before like 1980, you have no idea what it was like back then. But we did grow our own tomatoes in our yard, which I remember everyone loving except me because I wouldn't eat a raw tomato until I was in high school. So I missed out on those completely. And by the time I was in high school, we had no more garden. The supermarket tomatoes back then sucked even worse than they do today. I know, hard to believe. But there was local corn and other local stuff, and we would eat it seasonally when it was around. And that was okay. But the, Oh, wait a second. I have to talk. Oh, wait. I need to talk about my neighbor, Nick, for just a second here. Sorry, speaking of spectrum. Now, Nick is a new friend. He's my neighbor up in tiny bungalow land. He and his lady friend, Kim, soon to be, well, fiance, soon to be wife. We don't know when, but someday. They're renting the tiny bungalow across the street from our tiny bungalow, and they're actually buying a house in the community in tiny bungalow town because he grew up spending his summers there his childhood summers, and his grandfather was actually a founder of the colony back when they were commies. So he's come back to the ancestral homeland, basically. And Adam and I are very happy that they're there because now we have friends our own age to play with, which is so important to have a peer group to play with. Other than, of course, our beloved Ida, who I have talked about here before, is who is 80-something, she won't say, but acts like she's 25. And we like both of them a lot, and we all usually eat together on Saturday nights on our patio. Ida, too. We all get together. Everybody basically brings what they were going to have for dinner, but we all eat it all together, and we share. Well, the sharing, yeah, we share some things. Now, if a culinary psychologist, what? That could be a thing. There's no culinary psychologist. I think there must culinary therapists yeah there's got to be the other day i was working for someone and she's a in (sighs) infertility psychiatrist psychiatric infertility does that mean it's all in your head no 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 hate mail anyway a culinary psychologist wanted to do a study on doneness spectrum disorder which is a disorder that i just invented but hey maybe i Maybe I could get some grant money from, like, the National Institute of Mental Health for that or something. I mean, people get grants for all kinds of shit, right? Maybe I'll get Jack to look into that for me. Anyway, if a culinary psychologist wanted to study Dunness Spectrum Disorder, which is what I've just coined it, we would be the perfect group to study. Now, myself, I, being a chef, as you know, will only eat red meat lamb, beef, etc., that is still perfectly rosy pink inside. Anything beyond that, anything approaching medium, unacceptable. Can't eat it. I would never let it get that done, so it won't happen, but no. No, no, it's called red meat for a reason. Even pork, I eat pink because it tastes better pink. But my chicken has to be just opaque. I do not suffer from the obsessive need to overcook chicken like most people. I know salmonella dies at 137 degrees, so everybody relax about the 165. Your chicken is fully cooked, congealed, opaque at about 
150 for breast meat, not that I would ever eat chicken breast, or about 160 for leg and thigh meat. Okay, so my chicken has to be just opaque in order to retain the maximum amount of juiciness that makes it delicious. And fish, well, okay, we've been over that already. I'm not talking about the fish anymore. Now, Adam, my husband, he'll eat anything, anyway. He likes it better perfectly rosy or opaque, but he has no doneness spectrum disorder. Adam is free of this order. He's somewhat spectrum-y in his own way, believe me. But as far as this, no spectrum disorder. And so he's an easy, omnivorous guest. Well, he's not a guest because it's our house. We own it. But you get the picture. If you ever would like to invite us for dinner, you don't have to worry about Adam being the picky one or criticizing your food. Like, I might, but I don't because, anyway, nobody invites us over. Now, Nick, on the other hand, Nick is straight up well done. Even <laughs> boneless, skinless chicken breast, blah, which he eats. He cooks to a crispy, powdery, dustiness done. Same with his red meat. And I don't, I'm not actually sure if he really eats fish or not. But his red meat, it's like straight up gray brown all the way across. Now, Kim, his future bride, it turns out, actually likes it better my way, she confided to me. She likes it better, medium rare. But she goes along with Nick's need for well-doneness in order to not discourage him from doing all the cooking for them. <laughs> Very clever, Kim. Oh, smart lady. So we range on the spectrum, the group of us, which is okay. It's beautiful. It's what makes us human, and it's okay. There's room for everybody on the rainbow spectrum. Okay? But it drives me crazy because as the smarty pants know it all that I am, I want everyone to do everything my way because I'm right and everyone else is wrong. Of course. But after a few subtle snarky comments, I leave it alone and I leave them to enjoy their dust meat and everybody's happy. I am a gracious host above all else. Who am I to criticize? Oh, and Ida, she'll eat anything we serve her because she loves food and loves to cook and bake and eat and hang out with us. And she's super cool. And so it's totally fine. And besides, you know, at her age, she can't be picky. We're going to take another quick break. We'll be right back. I'm Harold McGee. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a nonprofit organization, which means they depend on the support of listeners like you and like me. The best way you can support this program and others like it is to visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org, as I have, and click the Donate button to become a member today, as I have. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. Welcome back to Let's Get Real. Harold McGee, everybody. Woo! He was just sitting in here before me. Harold McGee. A lot of what I've learned, I owe to him and his book. If you don't own it, you should get it. Anyway, welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Eric Weitz. Oh, you should follow me on Twitter, by the way, at Let's Get Real Show. Mm-hmm. I'm also on Instagram, and once in a while I post pictures of things I ate for breakfast because that seems to be what people do on Instagram. Also, somebody last week turned me on to the TSA Instagram feed. The TSA has an Instagram feed, and it's actually hilarious and fascinating. But I always forget to check it. But if you're, you know, one of those young kids who's on Instagram all the time, check it out. But also follow me. Uh, Where was I? Okay. Okay. 
So this last weekend, as I'm getting ready to fire up the grill to cook, not fish, relax, I'm not talking about fish, okay? I'm getting ready to fire up the grill and cook some Heritage Turkey Mini Burgers, some little patties, which just FYI, for the record, this wasn't in any kind of misguided, dated, 1998 era fatphobic moment of insanity where I said, oh, I only eat turkey burgers, not real beef burgers because I'm fatphobic or something like that. Okay? This was not that. This was not that. I was cooking these little turkey burgers because I had gotten heritage turkey, heritage ground turkey from a donation that I made to this very radio station. These were little patties that I was making from this ground heritage turkey because I got the heritage turkey in a box as a thank you for donating to Heritage Radio Network for our new website, and you should too. Harold McGee did it. I did it. You should do it. Way to weave the plug in there, huh? So donate. Anyway, for our new website, donate. So I had this dark meat, delicious heritage turkey. Dark meat turkey. Thank you very much. Nice and fatty. And I mixed it with some mashed garlic and salt and chives and some tandoori spice mix that I had made. And I grilled those little patties. And you know what? I even left them kind of pink on the inside <sighs> just to take such a huge risk because, ooh, really living on the edge there. And I served them with some grilled naan and some roasted pepper and eggplant spread. And it was all very delicious, I must say. But while I was heating up the grill, I boiled up some homegrown green beans because that's all I seem to be able to grow in my garden successfully is green beans. If anybody's a gardener out there and would like to talk to me, I would love some help. Actually, I could talk to Allison Carmen from We Dig Plants. All I can grow is green beans. And also there's some weird alien squash taking over my garden. But anyway, I cooked up the green beans and some multicolored carrots. Okay, And, and yes, you heard me right. I boiled them proudly in a pot. Boiling water. Boiled the vegetables. I didn't just blanch them briefly to keep them super crisp and bright green. I boiled them to cook them all the way through. All the way through. I was cooking them to a state of doneness that I like to call gummy bear tender. Gummy bear tender. Which means that your teeth, upon contacting the vegetable on your way to chewing it, Meat with some minor resistance, but there's no audible crunch and no real force or shear required to break through. Okay? It's not just like gumming them like a baby. You have to push a little bit, but not much. Okay? Gummy bear tender. As opposed to when I cook bacon, I call flexi crisp. Flexi crisp. Also a word that I am patenting, trademarking. Anyway, I like my vegetables cooked this way. Okay? I liked cooked crinkle-cut carrots from the freezer, the bag frozen carrots. I liked them with my bluefish, too, when I was a kid. But this way of cooking vegetables flies in the face of the prevailing and outdated obsession with barely cooked vegetables, which in themselves are a remnant of the Nouvelle Cuisine movement of the 70s, which insisted, no, even dictated, that vegetables be cooked for mere seconds and then left practically raw on plates. So that all the poor diners back then had to sit and chew like dairy cows, chewing and chewing and chewing just to get those little baby Harry Colvert and tiny squash with chervil down before they could get to the next bite of poached salmon. Because that's what we all ate back then. Ugh. 
Now, I like raw vegetables, too. I like a raw carrot. I love other raw vegetables. Lay them on me. I love salads. But cooked is cooked, and raw is raw. If I want a salad, I eat raw. If I want to experience cooked vegetables, I cook all the way through. Call me a rebel. Call me outdated. Call me crazy. But I like cooked vegetables. Now, not in the way that the vegetables served back in the bluefish days were from a box from the freezer, dumped into boiling water, and cooked until a pile of gray shit. No, not like that. But Nouvelle Cuisine's insistence on underdoneness was a direct reaction to that miserable era. It was a bouncing back, oh, to, should we say, the other end of the spectrum, from one end to the other end of the spectrum. And with a good reason. But we need to settle in the middle somewhere now. We're still a little bit too far to the underdone. Let's ease the needle over just a little bit. Okay? So if I want a vegetable cooked, then I want it perfectly, thoroughly cooked. Slight resistance, no crunch. Crunch is for raw. It sounds almost stubbornly spectrum of me, doesn't it? Almost like, I'm not even going to say the word. Uh, a little autistic, a little aspergery, if you will. Not to make light of people with any of those issues, of course. But there's a stubbornness. It's like the kid in the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. Did you read that book? I just saw the play, and it was like the best piece of theater I've ever seen in my life. I still can't stop thinking about it. If you have a chance and several hundred dollars to spare, go see it. So if I sound like that kid, that very autistic kid, well, too bad, because I'm the one doing the cooking, so I get to say how the food is done just like Kim does with Nick, except Nick is wrong and I'm right. But it's okay, because we're all on that spectrum somewhere. And we can all still eat together on the patio while the summer's still here and the sun is still shining and the bluefish are still living in Long Island Sound. That's it for today's Let's Get Real throwback edition. Today's Why We Cook, circa 2015. Yeah, Thanks see, for listening. It what? is like a Why We Cook. I know. See, it's for you, Jack. Cause Thanks. You, yeah, it's a little throwback. You get that old depressing theme music back. Oh, God, no. I'm depressed enough just thinking about eating all the overcooked vegetables. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for Let's Get Real Throwback Edition. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Jack Inslee in the booth for being my awesome engineer all these years. Thanks to, uh, oh, me for producing the show, because I'm the only one who does it. Thanks to Ben Kaplan for writing theme music. And also, thank you, listener, for tuning in. Oh, today's break music was provided by Rectech. Oh, is that Nat? Yeah, it oh, is. Nat Rectech. He used to be one of the engineers here, too. Yep. Oh, Nat. Thank you, listener, for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends to subscribe to the show on iTunes. And feel free to get in touch with us at heritageradionetwork.org. Next up, we have a teaser clip of Chef Marco Canora sharing some snack hacks on the food scene. Another great show found right here on Heritage Radio Network. Oh, he's the broth guy. Oh. Yeah, you'll like this snack hack, too, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I am still in pursuit of my perfect snack, so we'll see. All right. Anyway, that's it for us this week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. There's so much misinformation out there, and and everybody thinks that eating well needs to be uh, surrounded with deprivation. And it's like, it's not deprivation at all. Like, I'm a, I'm a fucking hedonist. Chef Marco Canora shares some snack hacks on episode 226 of The Food Scene, hosted by Michael Harlan Turkel. I love food. I eat food like crazy. I don't need to be hungry to eat food. It is just like a huge part of my life. And, you know, a lot of people are f afraid of this idea of eating well because they think that 
you turn your back on all that stuff. And no, it doesn't mean you turn your back on loving food. It just means you have to educate yourself and think differently about it. So when you think of popcorn, do you instantly think, oh, that's fiber. That's going to clear me out. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, yes. I think about popcorn and then I say, well, let's make sure I put the right fat on it. And, and let's make sure, you know, I'm getting a good quality popcorn that's not some kind of highly mass-produced GMO popcorn. And then it's great popcorn, and I'll grate some really good pecorino cheese on it and put a boatload of uh, black pepper on it and put a big hunk of really good grass-fed butter on it and some nice sea salt. And, man, it's fucking delicious, decadent popcorn that I could eat a tub of it until I'm sick. And I'm not going to feel so bad about it, right? Because of you now, kachu e pepeing something is like a yeah. verb in our house. <laughs> right. We always have that hunk of pecorino. This was an excerpt from episode 226 of The Food Scene, hosted by Michael Harlan Turkel. Did you like it? The Food Scene episodes are available on our website or on iTunes. Dig in for more. This piece was brought to you by Bonnie Plants. BonniePlants.com. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.